Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly marriage hour here on Trending. We'll be talking about some fun topics related to marriage. One of them being giving your spouse your best. Men and women can both work on this, but the topic was striked, especially over the last week, with regard to women and getting ready still as the years go on in marriage. Do you? Do you not get ready? Do you get ready to leave the house and go places and see people, but not when you see your spouse? Interesting topic. Would love to hear your thoughts. I'm also going to talk about some interesting news we'll unpack more tomorrow on the LGBTQ front. Uh, Questions are coming in as well about the conversation surrounding miscarriage and whether or not women uh, will be denied access to miscarriage treatment in the event that they lose a baby. Uh, We'll clarify that. I've clarified it a few times on the show, but it is an important argument that a lot of people are being pressured to believe that pro-life laws are just so anti-woman, and they're not. Also, I'm excited to share a really neat story. E! News actually produced a really sweet video this week about one woman who had a similar story to mine in that she had to change up the way she ate after battling years of infertility, and she finally was able to conceive after some time of clean eating. I'll share that and more with you in just a little bit here on Trending during our weekly marriage hour. But before we go there, maybe you are wondering what you can do to be more involved in the pro-life movement. It's been a bit of a theme this week talking about what you can do to do more. I know so many people are looking at what's happened with Roe versus Wade, and maybe you're asking, where do I fit in? I felt called for years to do more. I am pro-life, but I really want to put my actions, my thoughts, and ideas into action. Well, Sidewalk Advocates for Life are one of the ways you can do that. And joining me now is the president and CEO of Sidewalk Advocates for Life, Lauren Musica. Lauren Musica is an attorney, and she's passionate about defending the sanctity of human life, has been a sidewalk advocate for actually over 20 years. We're going to talk about ways you can stand in front of the abortion clinic. It's your right to pray, and if you feel so called, even counsel women who are considering or walking into a clinic for an abortion. Lauren, welcome to Trending. Thanks for having me, Timory. Great to be with you. Your ministry is nationwide. You have people at locations all across the nation praying and especially uh, sidewalk counseling women. That is, if you could, we'll explain a little bit of what sidewalk counseling is for those who maybe aren't familiar. You know, you see people sometimes standing in front of the abortion clinic, some praying, some talking to women. 
Sidewalk counselors will be those who are intervening and trying to help offer women different resources and even often just a listening ear to help her change her mind. Your work, you have seen over 17,000, nearly 18,000 mothers and babies saved from abortion. We need people on the front lines. Can you share with us a little bit about how your ministry draws people out to pray in sidewalk council and prepare them for that? Yeah, well, great question. Um, Sidewalk Advocates for Life is America's largest sidewalk outreach organization. We train, equip, and support those who have a heart to go to really what is the darkest place in their local community, the local abortion facility, and offer abortion-bound women and men loving, life-affirming alternatives. And as you note, as God's people have answered the call to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, to stand in the gap for women in crisis who may feel ironically that they have no other choice but to take the life of their child. We have witnessed nothing short of the miraculous in the eight years that we've been on the sidewalk. Nearly 18,000 women have turned around and accepted those life-affirming resources. And you know the great thing about being a sidewalk advocate, besides, of course, being out there in a spirit of peace, prayer, and love, offering options and resources to women and men who are in crisis that are in a valley of decision with an unexpected pregnancy. We're also able to be there for abortion workers, those who work in the industry. We know that many of these folks have one or more abortions in their, in their past, and it's really a, a, a mode of justification, you know, pain and justification that keeps them chained to the industry. So we get to reach out to these um, folks as well and let them know that there's hope and healing for them uh, through a great ministry called And Then There Were None abortion worker ministry. And then when we help enough clients, when we help enough workers, it really is a winning strategy. And so we've even witnessed 30 abortion facility closures um, following a prayer and outreach presence. And so this is really the epitome of this is being the hands and feet of Christ at the darkest place in our community. People know that they deserve so much better than the violence of abortion. Lauren, you're hitting on so many areas I think people maybe don't really think about. You know, they think about, you know, I believe that abortion's wrong, but what you're talking about is being on that front line right there in front of the abortion clinic, that last resort before a woman goes in to have an abortion. But that also, that face there in front of the clinic workers who see time and time again uh, relationships that sometimes even begin to blossom. I think of the story of Abby Johnson, which I actually Mm -hmm. know uh, you have spent years praying in front of that abortion clinic where Abby Johnson worked. And and I, were you uh, part of or did you see that whole um that whole series of events transpire were you there praying at that clinic at a different time yeah so i actually started sidewalk counseling in college and i was in front of the very facility that um birthed abby johnson's story and even the very first 40 days for life campaign so abby started out as an abortion clinic escort so you know walking women and men from their cars into the abortion facility, of course, you know, their objective is to try to engage them in so much conversation that they don't hear the sidewalk counselors, they don't hear about resources and options. And so it really was kind of an amazing thing to watch Abby rise through the ranks of Planned Parenthood. And then to see how through prayer and love and outreach, she made that decision to leave. Um, She witnessed an ultrasound guided abortion and, you know, saw with her very eyes 
eyes, how this baby was fighting against the abortion instrument. And when she needed somebody to go to, she chose to go to the people across the fence. And, and to your you know, first question about really what this is, you know, it is about being that friendly face on the sidewalk, being a safe place for people who are in a lot of turmoil, in a lot of crisis, you know, the, it's really the enemy that's coming into these people's lives and saying, you know, you have to have this abortion because of X, Y, and Z. The enemy's throwing up all these reasons why, you know, she can't have this baby. And so, you know, knowing that there's a reason or set of reasons why she's there and even why somebody works in the abortion industry, what a privilege it is to go to the sidewalk at that crossroads, you know, the greatest crossroads really of life and death in our world today and stand in that gap and and say, God has so much more for you. We can help you. You are not alone. We're going to walk this journey with you and help you to make that decision for life for your child, for yourself, right? And, and ultimately, we pray to see abundant life. Lauren, many people are scared of standing in front of an abortion clinic to pray, yet alone actually talking to a woman uh, who's in crisis pregnancy. You know, I wouldn't know what to say or what if someone shows up and what if the police show up? There are many fears that people have, but can you dispel some of those fears? Because I think many people are pleasantly surprised by the calm and peaceful atmosphere the vast majority of the time in front of the abortion clinics. That's so right. I think a lot of people are fearful to go to an abortion facility because they think it's going to just be one big debate out there or that there's even going to be violence. And, and what people largely find is it is largely peaceful. You know, we have First Amendment rights. We have the ability to go to public rights of way to reach out, to initiate peace, peaceful conversation, to hand out literature and invite people into conversation back with us. Um, this is the epitome of the First Amendment. You know, I'm an attorney that ended up in grassroots pro-life work and, um, you know, the police understand this. Sometimes police end up at a site because they may not understand the law or there may be a question about property lines and so right. forth. But, you know, we have great relationships with the police. Um, we're able to let them know what our rights are, or able to clarify some, maybe some research that we've done on the public rights of way. Um, and, you know, the great thing about this is that it, it gives us an opportunity when we go there. It gives us an opportunity to really just hold conversation with people. Um, this is, this can feel intimidating and I understand that, you know, the first time that I went out there, I had a lot of butterflies in my stomach, like, oh my goodness, what is this going to be like? But a lot of people will start out as a prayer volunteer, just going out and peacefully praying. And then after a while they, they realize, wow, you know what? I, I could do this. I could make the, the next step. I could take the next leap into just handing out information and just saying, hey, we care about you. There's a pregnancy resource center, you know, right next door down the road. We'd love to be there for you. I mean, it really is about, it's like conversation with a friend. Um, we really want to be that, that face of that friend next door, so to speak, right? I love it so often when we talk about sidewalk counseling and praying in front of the abortion clinic here on Trending, I always hear from a couple people who say, I went out, I did it for the first time, I've thought about it, I've always been afraid. You're right, it was peaceful. I was standing there praying and so many times I hear from people, men and women, uh, but often the men who are saying, I need to do more. And some of our most successful mm. and effective uh, sidewalk counselors are also men. And I think so often men think, you know, this is a women's issue, you know, who am I to stand in front of an abortion? abortion clinic and try to talk her out of having an abortion, but often that strong, loving, compassionate, masculine demeanor is exactly what a woman needs in the face of the lack of masculine support that she's had throughout her lifetime or maybe in the event of exactly this specific uh, pregnancy and baby. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. You nailed it. We need men out there. We need men in the pro-life movement. I mean, every child we've ever known has had what? A both, both a mother and a father. We know that 50% of the children that are losing their lives are little boys, right? Of course, men have a voice in this. And when I've seen men on the sidewalk, uh, men who have been trained through our program and then go to reach out to women, um, you know, because sometimes boyfriend or, or dad hasn't been a very strong figure in their life, some of the women really flock to that masculine presence. I know it's so um, it's so solidifying to us women on the sidewalk. It's so helpful to have another man out there watching over us and, and joining us in that. Um, men or other men on the sidewalk. A lot of times a woman will make a beeline for the facility and then it's the boyfriend that comes out to the porch um, yes. or he's running to the car to grab something and you know the men can reach out to the men there as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting as I was thinking often about sidewalk counseling. I don't know. How old were you when you started sidewalk counseling, Lauren? Yeah, I started when I was 18. Yeah, yep. I started when you were 18. So and you were in high school. I mean, just out of high school, I'm guessing you were young. I started sidewalk counseling truly by the grace of God when I was about 13 years old. And I remember being scared. I didn't know what to say. You know, people would look at me and say, you know, are you even old enough to have a baby? Well, yeah, but does that mean I'm necessarily having one? No. Um, you know, it was always so fascinating to me, uh, sidewalk counseling, because it is such a faith-filled and God-inspired thing to do. It is not you talking to that woman because sometimes the things these women say, you don't always have the answers and you just need to listen. Or you're, at least in my case, I'm praying, okay, come Holy Spirit, help me to know what to say. Help me to listen. I'm going to say the right things uh, for this person. And it's hard because you have to often face that they very well may still walk into that abortion clinic. They may walk out. They may reschedule. You know, they might not be there that day for an abortion, but be coming back another day. And so having kind of all of those circumstances in mind, I really do believe when you're standing there in front of the abortion clinic, it helps inspire you, Lauren, to realize how serious this issue is. And in a good way, I think fire us up with a good sense of anger for the injustice of what's yeah. happening because we're looking at the evil of abortion right in the face. I mean, I remember especially during COVID, I saw so many women uh, at our local abortion clinic who were dream being dropped off via Uber, one after another after another, and no one was in front of our abortion clinic. I think I was pregnant and, you know, pacing around in front of the abortion clinic, praying my rosary um, in I, because it was only me and no one else was there, my husband wasn't comfortable with me sidewalk counseling while pregnant, but like going there, it's peaceful. You know, even I don't yeah. recommend going alone unless, you know, you really yeah. kind of know your environment and are really safe and comfortable, but we need people there. I, I just watched Lauren as one person after another was dropped off in an Uber or by a boyfriend and if we don't have voices there, no one is pausing to intervene, to plant a seed, either preventing that woman from having an abortion that day or planting a seed to prevent a repeat abortion. We know that I think it's over right around 50% of all abortions are repeat abortions. And often those sidewalk counselors who are there, who care enough when that woman has that first abortion, leave an impression and help w women from going back for the second yeah, yeah, it is so true. I mean, it really is an incredible opportunity. Uh, you know, the other side likes to say, 
when a woman heads to an abortion facility, when she's walking in there, she's already made her decision. And I can tell you in over 20 years of doing this, and I know Timory, you can speak to this as well. That's just not true. We see so mm -hmm. many women confused and overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. And quite often they just need somebody to tell them that they are enough, that they can do it, right? When you stop to reflect on the fact that abortion com comprises 96% of all pregnancy-related services at Planned Parenthood, I mean, that's unbelievable mm -hmm. to me. They, they say that they provide so-called options counseling, right? Planned Parenthood, America's abortion empire. They love to say, oh, we're giving women all three choices, um, but 96% of all pregnancy-related services are abortion. But when we allow a woman a chance, when we give her a connection to that life-affirming pregnancy resource center in our background, you know, we're, we're doing crisis intervention. We want to get under the arms of someone who can do that ongoing crisis management. We'll journey with her as long as she needs us, but they're the experts in that journey, right? So we do that handoff there. When she can get that comprehensive options counseling and get in front of a life-saving sonogram, it's a game changer. The statistic about flips, mm -hmm. we've seen as high as 90 plus percent of women nice. who will choose life in front of a sonogram. And That's so location matters. That's yes. right. That's right. It's so it's unbelievable. And I still marvel even today at the number of people who arrive there. They have no idea that these resources exist and therefore these options exist. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, from experience, sometimes when we tell women we can help you with rent, groceries, a place to live. Right. We can journey with you after news of a prenatal diagnosis or there's counseling resources for you after a rape experience or whatever really tough mm -hmm. situation you may be walking through right now, um, women uh, begin to cry, sometimes instantly mm -hmm. on the sidewalk. Of mm -hmm. course, there'll be people who blow past you who don't want to hear your message, but I believe that they will, first of all, never forget that day, and they'll remember that a Christian was standing there, and especially mm -hmm. knowing so many of the women that I'm surrounded by who have, you know, I mean, I, I used to be on the sidewalk with a woman who has four abortions in her past, and now she's leading a sidewalk counseling ministry uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and she's one of my heroes, you know, and so God is never done with somebody's story. It's our job to plant those seeds, to be his hands and feet, and then we, we leave those victories to him. Lauren, can you share a story recently of, you know, boots on the ground, you see them across the nation, of a life that was saved because of Sidewalk Advocates for Life and one person being out there, being willing to speak up and listen? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll give you a real short story and then and tell you a, a story of where I actually got to hold a baby who was saved through the ministry of Sidewalk Advocates for Life. But Last Friday in Houston, and again, abortion is illegal in Houston, Texas, in the great state of Texas, abortion is illegal. Um, our team still went out to the largest, what well, was the largest abortion facility in the Western Hemisphere, the Planned Parenthood in the middle of Houston, Texas. It's now become an abortion referral facility. We're seeing this transition now in a lot of the pro-life or abortion restricted states. And so they said, we still need to go out there because women are making the decision you know, about what to do concerning an un unexpected pregnancy and they're getting referred across state lines. So our team was out there last Friday. They witnessed 14 women accept their help on the local mobile ultrasound unit. 14, the wow. previous record there had been six. Yeah. On one day. And so these were women, on one day in five and a half hours, these were women who were walking into that Planned Parenthood for a prospective referral across state lines or they were coming out afterwards. And so again, talking about a 
need, it is there. Even in abortion-restricted states, a lot of these facilities have stayed open to start referring across state lines to make money off of women. And then as far as, like again, a personal story, um, I was out on the sidewalk one day in Florida. We were getting ready to have a meeting with our, our Florida state leaders. And I was out there with a couple members of our national team. And there was a mother who was going in with her sister and her boyfriend. And they stopped at the fence to, to talk to me and Nate, again, a great guy on our team who was out there with me. And she had shared with me that this was baby number three, that she had two little girls from a previous relationship. She was um, doing a wonderful job providing for her family. She had this strong boyfriend next to her, but she felt like she just couldn't do baby number three. And, um, you know, we talked to her about all the resources available to her, the pregnancy center right next door. Um, and, you know, we talked about the fact that this was a sibling to the two other little girls. And this was just a, a Holy Spirit thing. I thought, what if this is her boy? And I said it out loud. I mean, it still would have been an equal blessing, even if she had gotten that third little girl. But I said, you know, what if this is your little boy? I think we, it was just all about humanizing that child and, and making sure she realized this was a part of her family and reminding her that when she went in there, that they were going to treat her like a dollar sign and that we mm. weren't out here, you know, getting paid for it. We were out here because we loved her and we cared about what happened to her afterwards. And so all of this was marinating. And she said, well, let me go in to hear what they have to say. And I never panic. We never panic when someone says, I still want to go into the abortion facility because, you know, famous sidewalk counseling priest Monsignor Riley says that over 50% mm -hmm. of the women that he's witnessed choose life heard an offer, heard his offer of help on the sidewalk, had to go in and experience the darkness of the facility. And if he did his job, they wanted to be back out with him on the sidewalk, right? Felt that contrast between light and dark. And so she said, I'm, I'm going to go in. And I said, we're going to be out here praying for you. And when you want to go to the pregnancy center right next door, we're here for you, hon. We're going to be praying for you. And so they went in and they said, as soon as they got in there, you know, it was interesting behind the front desk. It was all about money. They even wanted them to pay in cash, seemingly under the table, right? They began wow. to cry thinking about what they were about to do. And um, they made the decision then to come back out. And what was so interesting is Nate and I were on the sidewalk. We were praying and we hadn't even said amen. And the door to the abortion facility swung open. And I looked at them and said, so are you ready to accept our, our help next door? And they go, yeah, yeah, we are. And so long story short, um, they found out a handful of weeks later, they were having a little boy baby Cameron was born a handful of months later, a few months later, and we were able to go back and do a photo shoot with them. They're actually a family that's featured in our um, unexpected pregnancy pamphlet, the pamphlet that we give to all moms who are going into abortion facilities across the nation. Um, and I got to hold little Cameron in my arms. So the irony was, you know, I'd always prayed, Lord, it'd be so great if I could hold a baby that was, you know, saved by this ministry. But again, if it doesn't happen anytime soon, I'm okay with that. Ironically, the Lord answered that prayer by letting me hold a baby that I was directly involved with <laughs> on the sidewalk through Sidewalk Advocates for Life. And so the joy of holding that little boy, realizing all that God had done, uh, it's just, it never gets old. It's nothing short of amazing. So Praise God. What incredible stories. This is the life-changing work that is done there in front of the abortion clinics. And it's where we need to be. Every single life that is saved is worth it. And you know, people may say, okay, we have pro-life laws in our state, but you just gave a great example of why we need you know, ultrasound units out there, why we need advocates out there, because they are being referred across state lines, or they're sitting here saying, okay, I don't have access to abortion here, but what am I going to do? And unless we have 
our crisis pregnancy centers where people are sending them to our crisis pregnancy centers unless we have sidewalk counselors and prayer warriors they're not going to know where to go and this is why we should really all prayerfully consider and really think through maybe i can go out once a week you know for an hour maybe i can go out once a month if everyone went out for once a month an hour i mean that would be a game changer in front of the abortion clinic and uh, i love what you guys are doing there at Sad- sidewalk advocates for life you have training you have resources you have a network sidewalk advocates dot org is where you can find them we've tagged them on instagram facebook twitter uh, to follow their stories these life-saving stories but one thing that really stood out to me and i hope that you know encouraging people to how truly peaceful it is the vast majority of the time in front of the abortion clinics because my husband didn't grow up with activism to him a lot of the stuff that i did just sounded very outrageous you know don't don't stir the pot and you know there's funny he was concerned especially when i was pregnant and going out in front of the abortion clinic by myself just to pray and i was very very pregnant and i would go and pace in front of the abortion clinic door and i'd visibly pray you know my rosary beads because i'd hope that they could see me as i walked back and forth they could see my rosary and I could see me smiling at them um, and it's just such a simple thing or maybe you're a mom and maybe you can go out there for an hour or two hours you know put the baby in the stroller and walk back and forth in front of the abortion clinic these are things I've done never any problems people are so respectful and it's a witness to life and it also leads a woman to kind of visualize what that would look like if she had a baby you know what yeah. how old that baby would be how far along she would look like if she was pregnant you know these things that people need to sometimes visualize their lives and i'm so grateful lauren for everything you and your sidewalk advocates across the nation are doing and if you are a prayer warrior in front of the abortion clinic or a sidewalk counselor thank you please continue to do so and i hope others are inspired to do so as well check lauren's organization out sidewalkadvocates.org we'll include a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes for today's show relevantradio.com forward slash trending to catch the podcast and share this with someone you know so what's trending Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome to our weekly marriage hour here on Trending. We're going to unpack some interesting topics, everything from fertility and a couple stories of how these women change their diets. The only thing they changed and they were able to have a baby and conceive after years of struggling to conceive. Praise the Lord. Exciting, exciting news. And we're going to talk also about some interesting topics surrounding gender and a couple questions about miscarriages. So stay with me here on Trending. Okay, so Katie from Arizona wrote me about a struggle, the struggle in marriage of letting ourselves as women go. Katie said, I think we as wives can begin to neglect our husbands after we are married if we care more about how we look after we leave the house than how we look when just our husbands are looking at us. It was really interesting when I read this from Katie, I was thinking about how easy it is uh, to just kind of wear lounge clothes, no makeup, and 
it's kind of second nature for a lot of people if you're home a lot. And I am in a phase in my life where, you know, I work remotely from home. I work with my kids sleeping. And really, you know, there are some weeks where some of the only places I go other than, you know, morning mass during the week as I'm able. Other than that, it's Sunday mass. And sometimes, you know, I think a lot of people are in these places in life where you don't leave the house a lot unless you're going somewhere you don't necessarily get ready. And I think back to my mom growing up. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She started, was really involved in pro-life work and uh, started working from home for the most part when I was right around middle school, high school age. And whenever she was working from home, whenever she was strictly a stay-at-home mom, she always got ready every single day, even if it happened late or on less than an ideal time frame than what she hoped, uh, she always got ready. And I know that she, it's something she always really encouraged me to do, especially when homeschooling, still get ready, you'll feel better about yourself, you'll be put together, you'll do better at whatever you're trying to achieve that day. And it's so true, especially, by the way, if you've not heard the big news, we are expecting, or should I say our baby's already here, just growing and due in December, actually due on my first daughter's birthday. So we're really excited, but I've definitely been in a season of life with being extremely tired while pregnant because I struggle with a lot of exhaustion while I'm pregnant and my progesterone is really low. And when you supplement with natural progesterone, it can make you really sleepy. Uh, Some days are worse than others, but it's easy to just not get ready and be really lazy about appearance. But I notice even when I feel at my absolute worst, while pregnant or not, when I actually do get ready, it's a game changer and confidence and comfort for myself, just a change of attitude. But I do think coming back to Katie's comments, it, it can be a really important thing for your marriage a sign of respect, and an act of love toward your spouse, choosing to get ready and to get ready for your spouse. And I always find it interesting because I think that this topic stirs a lot of controversy. Some people who are saying that it's objectifying to be expected to get ready for your spouse every day. Do you know how much work I have to do to keep the house running or the kids running around? You know, And I hear both sides of it. But the reality is, is that when we throw on some makeup, when we do our hair, when we put effort into our wardrobe, it makes us feel better. It's a compliment to our spouse. It's a compliment to our marriage. And it's easy to have that mindset of, I don't see anyone. I'm not going anywhere. So I'm not getting ready. And the comments from Katie from Arizona really stood true to me. She said, I think as wives, we can begin to neglect our husbands after we are married If we care more about how we look after we leave the house than how we look when just our husbands are looking at us. There was one day when we as women would get ready to our best effort while trying to trap, I mean, date to marry our husbands. But we should always consider our husbands or as someone we see as someone we're seeing, you know, not just that, oh, I'm not seeing anyone today. Well, you're seeing your spouse. Uh, We should, and you see your spouse in a particular place, and that just happens to be your home. It used to be, you know, when you were dating, if your boyfriend came over, you would get dressed to the nines and be ready to go, at least up until a certain point in your relationships, usually. It was funny, this actually was sparked, the conversation was sparked because I had mentioned 
um, an old friend of mine and, and mentor who had shared that when she got married every day before her husband woke up, she would wake up and get ready and put makeup on and then get back into bed before he woke up, which I thought was hilarious. I still kind of called a lot. I really wonder if she did this every single day of her marriage. They were married a long time. Uh, but I did think that there was something to it. On one side, we could discuss insecurity, but on the other side, just that those little things that can be thoughtfully done and that are good for us as women as well. And I think the old practice of getting ready every day, freshening up before your spouse comes home to help you feel better in general and to give a little extra to your spouse and a better version, your best version of yourself, I think that's something important. And so just a thought, I would love to hear feedback on this because I know there tends to be controversy, but I think it's a good challenge for us as women. And I am interested watching some of the Instagram live comments that are flooding in. A lot of women in particular saying, yes, like we agree. This is really important. And, you know, I would be interested to hear any of the gentlemen who want to call and share, if you're not scared of your wife hearing you, uh, I would be interested to hear a male's perspective on this as well. You're listening to our weekly marriage hour here on Trending with Timray. While we're talking about women, because, you know, we can still talk about women, this is just a real just laugh moment because this is how ridiculous it is. Vice President Kamala Harris opened a meeting this week saying this. I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. And I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. I am not even kidding. She started a meeting saying this. This is the insanity we are living with when it comes to this gender ideology. But, you know, sometimes I will admit it is helpful perhaps for some people to to announce their pronouns when we're really confused. You know, some of the haircut trends are just a little confusing. I digress. I'm kidding. This is absolutely ridiculous. And it actually is quite offensive because the fact that our president, vice president of the United States of America, would be so rude as to say something like this because it is rude, especially when you consider that this is a push for the LGBTQ ideology. And by saying this, it's out, absolutely out of touch. The news broke this week that the FDA officials are coming out sharing about some of the damage of the LGBTQ's agenda to have kids change their sex, which you can't do, but to have them take hormones of the opposite sex. Tomorrow, I'm going to discuss this huge news that FDA officials have warned the most common puberty-blocking drugs that are being used by teenagers, young adults, and across the spectrum that they're causing brain swelling and severe vision loss in minors. Not to mention the fact that this is still extremely experimental, especially when we're using this on prepubescent children. We don't have the full long-term knowledge of the side effects of some of these puberty blockers. Not only to mention that we do know that these cross-sex hormones are extremely cancerous. They can do permanent damage to the development of puberty and are in most cases causing permanent sterilization, the inability to have children long-term. Kids and many even 
young adults are not aware of these long-term side effects, nor are they aware of the fact that we do not have any long-term knowledge on much of the impact of cross-sex hormones. And so I think it's important when the FDA is actually saying something about this. I'll be interested to see if the story squash. We'll talk about it more tomorrow here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timurie here on Relevant Radio during our weekly marriage hour. I'm taking questions when we come back, and I'll also share a really neat story about a woman who struggled for years with infertility, was finally able to conceive a baby, and all she did was change her diet. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to our weekly marriage hour here on Trending. I'm going to share with you a really neat story that was actually even featured on E! News about one woman who struggled to have a baby for years and... Her husband had this secret Instagram account she was shocked to find out about. Well, the whole story is incredible. She ended up conceiving a baby after just changing her diet. Stay with me because you want to hear this story. But we've been talking about the controversy that many people go through over when you're in marriage and you kind of start to get lazy particularly, and again, there are plenty of things that men can get lazy about, but on the part of women, when we don't give our best when it comes to how we present ourselves. And I know there are two sides of the spectrum. One side, you know, all natural is great, and I'm doing so much, I shouldn't have to try too hard, I should be respected, loved, and appreciated as is. On the other side, we have this argument that, you know, you get ready and do your best to get ready when you go out and see people, but you don't give that same level of compliment or intention to your spouse. So I am having some interesting comments and questions coming in on this. Vivian's on the line from San Diego. Vivian, I'd love to hear your thoughts and our question on this topic. Well, my, my thoughts, first of all, are we don't get, we put makeup, I thought, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought you said something about we, we get our, and put on our makeup to help us feel better. And that struck me as so strange because my question is, don't we love the face God gave us? And I said, okay, if you're scarred or you've had tattoos or something and you need to cover them up, I can see that. Or if you've lost your eyelashes or somebody shaved your eyebrows off, I can see that. But most women have an innate beauty that comes from God. And my question is, mm-hmm. do we not appreciate it? Yeah, Vivian, that's a great question. You know, do we have an appreciation for the body, the gift, the face that God has made us? I think there's a big difference, Vivian, between hiding how we look and perhaps doing subtle enhancements such as putting on some mascara, a little bit of blush, and some lipstick. And I think that this kind of touches on where the 
makeup culture has gone so far. I remember talking to um, my sisters and some friends about this last year. And so I do not wear, um, what you would call it, um, the concealer and like all those layers of, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive, but like fake coloring on your skin. And I, I just don't get it. I'm with you. Like we have this skin. Some people have better skin. Some people have worse skin. Trust me, I've been there. I've had terrible acne before. I have scars on my face. But I also think, you know, your skin just can't breathe. Like it just doesn't look comfortable to me. And I was asking some of my sisters and friends, like, why, when you wear it, why do you wear it? And I was really taken aback when uh, one of them said, well, it just makes me feel more confident. And I was taken aback so surprised. You know, I wasn't sure if it was just like what people do. And I think that there's a balance. There's a difference between subtle and respectful enhancement of features um, and just hiding behind what we don't like about ourselves. Because if we're hiding behind what we don't like about ourselves, like you're saying, Vivian, you're right. We're not satisfied with how God made us. And some people can wear absolutely no makeup and feel completely comfortable and confident. And some people are just gorgeous with no makeup. Some people, you know, some might argue could use a little bit of makeup or a little bit of tidying. You know, for me, I'm one person, I have to do my hair. I can look like a total gruffalo without my hair done. I call it my rat's nest. I have curly, frizzy hair. And if I just left it as is, I would look a little uncouth to say the least. Now, is that me rejecting the God-given hair that God gave me? No, not necessarily. It's me actually looking at it from the perspective of we're called to be good stewards of what, what God gave us. And so are we called to hide behind uh, or hide what God gave us? No. But are we called to respect and nourish that? Absolutely. And I think that that's a fine balance. And I think some of the difficulty, Vivian, is that a lot of us maybe were never taught how to use makeup or we've not had conversations just like this where you're pushing the status quo saying, shouldn't we be grateful with what God has given us to begin with? You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We're talking about that controversy of getting ready, getting ready for your spouse, feeling more confident when you get ready, you know, changing your clothes, the makeup, hair, all of it. Um, one comment that has come in on Instagram Live came from... Latin Mass Latina saying, I completely agree. My only difficulty is I work out a lot and find myself in workout clothes a lot. How can I be practical and attractive for my husband? Great question. You know, again, I'm not going to get into the controversy over wearing workout clothes or not. That's another topic for another day. We're also talking about wearing workout clothes at home. I think that there are a lot of workout clothes that can look very respectful. I think there are also a lot of workout clothes that can be um, very sloppy looking and a lot of workout clothes that we really should never be wearing out in public. Let's be real. And I think as a culture, we've gotten really lazy about wearing workout clothes. I'm always fascinated by the trend. It used to be when people went on airplanes and traveled, they'd wear their best clothing, their best jewelry, their best shoes, because they kind of thought that they might die with kind of the novelty of flying on planes. Now, what we wear on airplanes, I think that people would be aghast if they saw what we wore when we travel cross-country. Um, my mom always cracks me up because, as I mentioned before, she was one who got ready and every single day when she was home with us as kids and always set example, even if it was later in the day. 
But it's funny because she's one of those people who dresses really nice when she travels. And it's always if you travel with her, I'm like, oh, man, I should probably wear you know something a little nicer. Although the jeans aren't necessarily the most comfortable thing to wear uh, when you're flying cross country. But coming back to this question, if you're home, you're working out a lot, maybe you're active and moving around. How can you find a balance between being a t- practical and trying to present yourself and be attractive when your spouse gets home, when your husband gets home? Uh, isn't that the ridiculous that I've got to say that today just to be clear ladies we have husbands husbands you have wives I'm just saying okay Uh, but I think that there is a balance between the practical and the impractical and as I mentioned before I have crazy hair if I don't do something with my hair I, I can look totally uncouth but that doesn't mean I have time to blow dry or curl or like really take the time to do my hair every day or maybe you don't have time to fully do your makeup you know the way you would sometimes and I love the simplicity of this I remember my grandmother, my great, should I say my great grandmother, all she wore was lipstick and then sometimes the further she would go would be a little bit of mascara and blush. But most days it was just lipstick. And I think the older generations had this beauty in the simplicity of how they wore makeup. And it comes all the way back to that simple idea, throw on some lipstick freshen yourself up you know maybe it's washing your face quickly you know brush your hair whatever that looks like for you maybe your clothes do look a little messy okay change them real quick before your spouse gets home trust me there are plenty of times before my husband gets home I was still sitting around in practically lounge-ish wear but maybe got semi-ready or not at all I could at least change my clothes again it makes me feel better about myself more confident or put together and I don't think there's anything wrong with that but it's also just a very simple sign of honor and respect just like we used to have a culture where when women walked into the room men would stand up I think that's a beautiful and special thing well I think that there's also a very respectful thing about presenting your best when your spouse gets home from work you're listening to trending with Tim Murray here on relevant radio Okay, we have a really interesting question that came in about miscarriages and the debate circling around that that I'll talk about tomorrow because it's an important question. Many people think that pro-life laws are going to punish women who experience a miscarriage or uh, will not give proper medical access to women who have miscarriages. That's absolute lie. I've covered it before here on Trending. I'll post the link on social media, but I'll take some of these arguments more in depth tomorrow here on Trending. What I really want to share with you is an incredible story. A friend of mine um, recently sent this to me this week. It was featured on E! News, and it is the sweetest video about this married couple. Listen to this. A year ago, I found out that my husband had a secret Instagram account. See, I have this condition that could affect my fertility, and my husband started the account Meal She Eats as a way to document the meals he made to help balance my hormones through food. Instead of turning to birth control to regulate my cycle, we turned to food as medicine. Eight months after he started the account, we saw those two pink lines in our lives forever changed. I couldn't be more thankful for the partner I've had along the way. We documented the entire pregnancy with recipes that were based off food the size of our baby. We even adopted several hundred college students in the process. Today, we celebrate our due date and patiently wait for our little roommate's arrival. I love the story. And E! News covered it. Did you notice the moment where this woman shares that she didn't want to use birth control to quote, quote unquote, regulate her cycle so that she could have a baby that she used eating clean. I love this story because 
This is a part of my story and I'll share with you in just a minute. But here's the deal. This last week, a friend of mine recently shared the news that she's pregnant. After four years of struggling to conceive a baby, four years of infertility. Now, what did she do? All she did was clean up her diet. She stopped eating dairy and she stopped eating wheat. She stopped trying to eat as much refined sugar, etc. You guys hear it all, but do we necessarily do it? What stood out to me is that this story on E! News, my friend's story, and mine all share something very common. I remember just after college when I was struggling with all of my food allergies, trying to figure out what was going on. We knew that I had autoimmune disorders, but we hadn't figured it out yet. yet. It wasn't until years later we figured out I had Hashimoto's disease and polycystic ovarian syndrome. But what was a game changer in healing all this along the way is that the triggers that made my polycystic ovarian syndrome, that's PCOS, and Hashimoto's disease worse was when I'd eat food that I was allergic to because there were some foods I was outright allergic to and others that I was sensitive to. At one point, I had over 30 food allergies at one time. Now, praise God, I'm down to five that are much more manageable. So I'm allergic to gluten, soy, corn, dairy, and peanuts, which interestingly, uh, gluten, soy, and dairy in particular are three things that many women are being told if you want to have a baby and you're struggling with fertility, you should really think about cleaning your diet up and taking those three things out of your diet. I also learned with time that for women, our bodies really work on basically about three month cycles. And when you take something out of your diet, you really need to give your body about three months to adjust to that for it to impact your fertility and the health of your cycle. So when my friend from college sent me this video from E! News, I was so happy to hear a story where a woman wasn't being told, just take hormonal birth control to regulate your cycle. No, this woman chose eating healthy. It was as simple as that and as hard as that. But you know what really stands out, I think, the most to me about this story is that her husband was a part of the journey. I was really nervous when I opened the video and it started with her sharing that her husband had started a secret Instagram account. Oh dear, where is this going? But it was him documenting the clean and healthy foods that she was eating. And after eight months of clean eating, she ended up being able to conceive a baby. How exciting is that? Well, the husband played a huge role in supporting her and helping cook for her. It is not easy to start eating clean. It is not easy to transition your diet. I've said I've had to learn multiple times to relearn how to cook. And it's really difficult to relearn how to eat. That's not easy. And when something such as fertility is such a big deal that is being impacted by food today, we need all hands on deck. And husbands, Know that if this is something maybe your spouse is dealing with health issues or fertility, your support with food is an incredible game changer. And I'm so grateful. My husband from day one of dating all the way to today has been so good at helping me eat healthy. Uh, he hasn't left me on my own ever. He's played a huge part in also inspiring me to eat healthy because he's, you know, dug in. He's also done the research. He actually cares about eating healthy and finding new recipes. And it's been so helpful. And psychologically, it's so hard to change how you're eating. But when you have someone else on board, specifically your spouse, who should have your best interest and the best interest in the family in mind, it 
makes a world of difference. And I can tell you from my own story, there was one point right after we got married, I decided, you know what? I checked to make sure I wasn't pregnant. I said, you know what? I just want to eat dairy. I know I'm allergic to it, but I'm craving pizza. So I had gluten-free pizza with dairy on it. I will tell you for the next four months, my health, my cycle was completely out of whack. It was really, really negative impact, negatively impacted me personally. Food has been a huge part of my fertility journey. And although it's been so hard at times, it's a routine and a practice that has been a part of what's been able to really allow me to have children. And I'm grateful for that. And so stories like this on E! News coming out instead of birth control, but instead using healthy eating, I think are pretty incredible. I'll post a link to this sweet little video on my Instagram. So go follow me at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. News broke that FDA officials are coming out sharing the damage the LGBTQ agenda is doing to kids and young adults. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Friday, I'll discuss the huge news FDA officials have warned that the most common puberty blocking drugs in so-called cross-sex hormone quote-unquote therapy is actually causing severe brain swelling and vision loss in minors. Join me Friday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.